episode since we're recording, we like totally forget how to talk. I really think we're going to. Yeah, this happens, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 We're so cool, okay? We're fine. So cool. We can do this. Okay. Hi, and welcome to Dead Mom Society. The club that nobody wants to be in. We get you. Let's do this. I'm Kate. I'm Mel. And we are both working through our grief and hopefully going to help people work through theirs along the way. We're just two girls with dead moms and it sucks and we want to talk about it. And we hope you want to listen and talk about it too. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so today for the first intro episode, we kind of had the idea to um, kind of tell our stories together. Um, because we really have a lot of things in common with our journeys Mm -hmm. and we just wanted to kind of introduce where this whole idea, um, came from and yeah. And we hope you want to follow along. We know that even though our world is so progressive in terms of destigmatizing, um, mental illnesses and taboo subjects, there's still a lot of taboo around the idea of mortality and grief. Nobody wants to talk about it. So when you go through it, not only do you not know what to expect, but nobody else wants to talk to you about it because it's taboo. Mm-hmm. So we want this to be a place where you do talk about it and mm-hmm. you hear what we went through because we know that having each other going through our grieving has been instrumental in us being able to get through it together. Mm-hmm. We've said that a hundred times to each other through the last, gosh, three years now of just like, I don't know what I would do without you. And we were talking about it one day and we're just like, there's a lot of people out there that don't have this. And we wanted to just offer this on a plate um, and kind of be a friend over the airwaves. If you don't have someone in your life that can be there for you and maybe learn a bit about yourself. And if you're not grieving right now and you're listening to this to help someone who might be grieving in your life, um, we're going to try and address that as well. So there's going to be a lot going on in this podcast. We hope it's going to be super dynamic and helpful. Um, But bottom line is we are just trying to figure our shit out. Um, <laughs> and we know that everyone else is too. We don't pretend to be experts in any type of way, but we just have learned a lot about ourselves and about grief and about um, how to get through the day. And so we're just going to try and see what we can do with that info and see if we can help other people. Yeah, we'd love to help you get through the day too. Mm-hmm. And whether it's you are grieving the death of a loved one, or like Kate said, your friend is, or someone you love is grieving the death of a loved one, Or maybe you're anticipating grieving the death of a loved one and you're in the caretaker phase. Um, We just want to be there and talk about it because going through it is so lonely when you can't talk about it. Mm. Yeah. So we're here for that and we're here for you and we're ready to do this. Yeah, here we freaking go. Here we freaking go. Let's do it. (laughs) So our story begins uh, when we were in college. We met when we were working for this thing called Programming Activities Council. Um, And we were pretty much friends right off the bat, but not super, super close, until one day we were walking to class together. And I told Mel that I wanted to go on a camping trip this weekend for fall break, but I couldn't find anyone to go with me. And Mel was like, I'll go. And I was like, okay, are you you sure? And this is the first thing I learned about Mel, the first time I learned this thing about Mel, when she said she's gonna do something, she's just gonna do it. she is the most enthusiastic person and you could literally just be like, Hey, um, I need help severing my big toe. Would you help me? And she'd be like, yeah, yeah, I got you. Like it's, and she needs it, you know? So that's pretty cool. 
But we packed up a couple days later and took off, and I learned that she was super narcoleptic um, <laughs> in the car, and... <laughs> I uh, thought there was a bear outside of our tent, so she learned that um, I'm a psycho who's <laughs> <laughs> scared of nature sometimes. <laughs> but we had a really nice time, and it was pretty instantaneous after that. And so just going off of that, we, my, well, both of our senior year, um, Mel's really smart, so she finished in three years. So she's a year younger than me, but we finished at the same time. But I was saying, because I didn't study abroad, that I really wanted to take a trip to Europe. And Mel was like, yeah, that sounds really fun. And I was like, okay, okay. I (laughs) I don't know where we should go. What should we do? And she's like, I'll go if we can go to Italy. So that was that. We booked our plane tickets literally a matter of days after deciding we're going to do this. I think we started talking about it in April, and we booked our tickets for November. Mm -hmm. So um, that was that. And it was really awesome. And we took our little trip to Europe, just the two of us. it was incredible, and we spent what nine days in Italy? Yeah, something like that. nine days, something nine. like that. It, it was, was a whirlwind. Yeah, it was a lot of days in Italy. We saw a lot of Italy, and then we went to Paris. And I was a lot more excited for Paris, mm-hmm. although Italy was amazing, obviously. Um, but I was going to be in Paris for two and a half days by myself because Mel was leaving to go home for Thanksgiving, and then I had two more friends coming to meet me in London. So, sorry, that's a lot of background. <laughs> <laughs> You need it all. Trust me. <laughs> all we need the background. Okay. <laughs> um, so we are on our last day in Italy. Um, we're in Venice. I tried calling my mom and she wouldn't pick up, which is weird because I called her probably every day. Mm-hmm. Um, every day. Yeah. She took a similar trip when she was that age with her friend who's now my godmother actually. Um, and so I just had a lot of fun, like, relaying everything to her. And mm-hmm. this is kind of funny. Um, it's not funny, but it's a little funny. <laughs> when we were in Italy, I kept saying things like, oh, my gosh, I just feel like my mom is with me. Like, I can feel her. Mm-hmm. I just, this is so funny. Like, I'm just doing the same thing that she did at this age. And Mel goes, it's kind of like you're in Mamma Mia, but your mom's not dead. <laughs> God, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Because we both, we love ABBA. We love We ABBA. love ABBA. We watch Mamma Mia while we plan this trip. Like, we, we love it. love ABBA <laughs> so much. Yeah. ABBA is amazing. Um, anyway, this is a podcast about ABBA. Um, <laughs> sequence, what's your opinion? <laughs> ABBA, sponsor us. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> okay. So, um, it was kind of funny. And... It was actually a really beautiful trip because I did feel super close to her, which was awesome. But she was fine. She was alive. She had just kind of, we just hit a year mark actually of her being one year done with her treatment because she has had cancer or she had cancer three times. She had it once when I was in eighth grade, once when I was a junior in college. And that's what she was was like recovering from when I took this trip. So we're in Venice. June pick up my phone call. I was very concerned I we had gone to dinner that night and I felt anxious for mm-hmm. some reason we went to dinner um we walked home and we got home and I was like mom I'm so happy we're back I just have been feeling really anxious tonight and she was like what we promised you at the beginning of this trip if we were feeling anxious we were going to be honest about it and I was like I know I just was being stupid <laughs> so a little bit of like I don't know foreshadowing I guess though you could say mm-hmm. um so I tracked my mom because I was really concerned about her not picking up my phone call, I saw that she was at Kaiser. 
and she just didn't tell me that she was like going to go to Kaiser. And so I kind of knew that something was off there. And so I called her, I think like six more times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started, I went a little crazy and she texted me and was like, um, or no, she answered the phone once and she said, I'm in the grocery store. I can't talk right now. And I was like, okay. Um, she sounded kind of like panicked a little bit. And then I, tried calling her again or texting her. Um, and she said, I can't talk. I'm on my way to tutoring. And that's when I tracked her and saw that she was at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so I called her many more times. I called my dad and he picked up and he sounded very, um, not like himself. And I was like, tell, you need to tell me the truth right now. What's going on? My dad just said, she's getting scans. We don't know anything. We found some stuff. Um, so that was day one. And that was the second time I ever had a panic attack. We were sitting on the bed in, on the bed in Venice, and I had a full-on panic attack. And Mel really helped me through it. Um, she told me the like rule of five. Yeah, grounding um, five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which was really amazing. That really helped me and calmed me down. Um, not a lot of sleep that night, but the next day we left for Paris, which is what I was excited about. So we get to Paris, still feeling pretty bad. I call her again that night when we were in our hostel and she said the cancer's back. I didn't know what that meant in that moment completely, but I kind of knew, you know, when your mom goes through cancer three times, especially breast cancer, and she had just recovered from her second bout. And so, and before that, it had been uh, seven years between. So the fact that it came back so soon was not good. I called a couple people to try and get some comfort. That worked fine, but I was still just not doing great. So the next day, we went to the Louvre mm-hmm. and saw everything, and that was really great. And I just got really tired really quickly. And I had this really annoying habit where I can't eat. You didn't eat anything <laughs> I didn't for eat like anything. 48 hours. No. Mel, like, she, she said, she was like, you need to have some soup. I had like some French onion soup pretty much. <laughs> like forced and it down your yes, throat. Yeah. It's really annoying, especially when you're in Paris and you can't eat. So that was frustrating. And so I got really tired because I was a little bit weak and we were going to go to the Eiffel Tower and Mel being the amazing friend that she is, was like, I don't think we should go to the Eiffel Tower. I think we should go back to the hostel. And I think that we, you're expecting a call. I think you should just, I think we should go back to the, ho- to the hostel and just like chill out. And that was such a good thing because I got the call. My dad told me it was terminal and that she had two to three years. And that just sucked to hear being so far away from home. Um, We live in Denver and I was so far. And I was nine to 10 days into this trip and I was gonna be gone for another 20 days. And that was just like a really tough thought to get through. I am not a huge crier. I try really hard to cry sometimes. But like when things hit me like that, it doesn't usually go very well. (laughs) Um, And I called my sister because she was teaching. and She got the call when she was at work, which just sounds horrendous. Um, And we talked to each other and just got really sad, you know, that she wasn't going to make it to our wedding and she was not going to make it to, you know, the birth of her grandchildren or, you know, every other, a new job offer or like, you know, anything. Every milestone. Every milestone. And, it, and not even milestones, just the, just the little days. Like 
I thought about my trip and I was just like, if I ever take a trip like this again, like I'm not going to be able to share it with her. You know, I'm not going to, if I have a bad day, I won't be able to, I just, you know, so many of those thoughts running through my mind. So that was hard. And what was really scary was that Mel was leaving the next day. Um, I got the call at like 8 p.m. and Mel had to leave the hostel the next morning at like 6 Mm a.m. So we basically went out and like tried to get some food and like had like (laughs) a cheese board (laughs) and a lot of wine. Um, And just, yeah, next morning, woke up early, walked, I mean, a little bit outside. Mel walked to the train station Mm -hmm. and, and left and I went back to bed and I... Um, had a couple more days by myself, completely by myself in Paris, which was the thing I was most excited about for that trip was to be alone in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds so cheesy, but I was like, <laughs> the next two days were obviously hard and I pretty much didn't stop crying. It was waterworks almost the entire time. Um, but Paris is a great place to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I really felt like I was in a noir film, you know, like one of those like French women who just like walks around just like with a single glistening tear on her cheek, just like looking really sexy but sad. <laughs> and I did not look that way. Like I literally had not showered in three days. I was, <laughs> I looked like shit. <laughs> it was kind of funny. The first day at least. The second day I literally wore a black turtle. <laughs> And like tried to curl my hair and like looked like this like little I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> it helped. You though. were just really doing did. you. I was That's doing what you were doing. I you was doing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we went to Vers. I went to Versailles and like you know, just like walked around for probably four to six hours at Versailles. I don't even remember how long it was. Had some champagne at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Like it was ridiculously romantic. <laughs> it was the most romantic couple days of my life. Because I was alone and sad in Paris. It was pretty, it was ridiculous. Then I went to London and met more friends. Um, And so this, I found out the news on the 8th of November. And then uh, found out more news. Yes. So then I left that the day after Kate found out her news. For a while, the summer prior to this trip, my mom was sick. Um, but did not want to get checked out. She had seen a lot of people die of complications of chemo and and cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea of her not, the idea of her going somewhere for them to tell her it was cancer and she needed chemo freaked her out and she didn't go to a doctor and we begged her to. And so going to this trip, it was one of those things where I was on kind of rocky waters with my mom just because she was not taking care of herself and I knew something was wrong. So when I went back, I was refreshed. I was excited to see everyone. Um, I got back. I went to work the night I get. I got back, which is so dumb, but <laughs> I worked at a bar. No choice. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, so oh I did. Oh, my God. I know. I Jesus know. Jesus. <laughs> I know. So I did. And I remember being there. Um, and getting the, a call from my dad that, okay, my mom is in the ER. She finally decided to go to the doctor. And so part of me was relieved, like, okay, thank goodness, mom is in the ER. They're going to get checked out. Maybe it's nothing. And then my dad called me again. She has to be admitted to the hospital. Something's not right. And I was like, oh, okay. So trying to distract myself and compartmentalize, 
due to all the years of therapy leading up to that moment, you know, like, got to file this away and open it up later. Can't handle this one at a bar. Um, and then I went through the night even more and I got another call from my dad um, saying, your mom doesn't want you or your sister here tonight. So you're going to go home tonight. You're not coming to the hospital. Um, and I was so distraught and I was so annoyed. Like, what do you mean? She doesn't want us to be there. No, let us come. Let me come see my mom. No, Mel, it's bad, and we'll talk tomorrow, and then maybe we can do it then. So I'm obviously freaking the F out. Like, so, I'm so scared, um, and I didn't sleep, obviously. The next day, I had to go to another work event, <laughs> but for a different job. And so I'm at the work event, and I called my dad, and I'm like, I'm coming to the hospital after this. Like, you can't stop me. I don't care. I'm coming to the hospital. Do you need anything? And he was like, you really don't have to come, blah, blah, blah. I said... I, do you need anything? Like, it's not a question anymore. I'm an adult. I want to see my mom. And so um, I went to the hospital and went up to, um, I think it was the ICU or maybe just like whatever level is below ICU um, because they had been doing a lot of scans on her and such and had to sedate her for a lot of it. And so I walked in and she had a port in mm -hmm. Um and for those of you who've seen a port, so gnarly. They're ugly. They're so ugly. They're just horrific. It's like a giant bug under oh your skin. Oh my God. Having like to get it, it put in, the pain she was mm. in after they put it in. Ugh. I saw that she had a port in and that she um, was like a skeleton and um, just like so skinny because she hadn't been able to um, like absorb nutrients for a very long time. And so I talked to the doctor a little bit. He wasn't exactly sure what it was. We would know more tomorrow. So the next day, um, wake up and the doctor comes in and he lets us know, okay, your mom has something called chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Um, and so we were like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> That's a lot of words. And um, he said, you know, it's actually something that goes undiagnosed for most people throughout their lifetime. And it's not even the thing that most people who get it die from. Like, it's a very, um, quote-unquote, harmless cancer. Mm. He said, I know. Sorry. I, don't mean, <laughs> I know. I don't mean to stop. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and then he says, like, you know, if it was acute lymphocytic leukemia, it'd be a different story. And I've known people with ALL, and I believe that. Um, so, But I was feeling hopeful. I was like, okay, we have a diagnosis. We know what's going on. I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling like there's a course of action. He told us about the chemo. Strangely enough, the chemo made my mom feel better. That's mm, how wow. bad off she was um, because it was, it made her feel better. Like she had more energy. She wanted to eat when she was having chemo. Very strange, I know, but it's because of how far along everything was. Um, so <clears throat> um, I called everyone, told them what was going on, told them there was a course of action. Most people were relieved that mom was taking care of it, talking to a doctor, blah, blah, blah. So in that moment for like the next 48 hours, there was like a lot of relationship mending between my mom and my sister and me because things had been so um, strained when she wasn't going to a doctor. And, you know, it was just really good family time. My mom was like in the mood for a burger. So she got a burger. It was like such a little happy moment. But for those like 24 to 48 hours, things were okay because... It was cancer, but it wasn't that bad, and it was going to be fine. Mm -hmm. It was manageable. She was going to live with it. And then a couple days later, um, she got moved to the oncology unit, um, which 
the nurses in the oncology unit are just the nicest nurses mm-hmm. in the entire world. They're saints. They're literal saints. And so um, we're there. And my, the doctor told us that my mom needs to get another scan because he had a meeting with all the cancer doctors um, at Press St. Luke's. And one of them pointed out that something in her first scan didn't look like CLL. It looked like something different. And he wasn't sure, but he wanted to do a biopsy to test it. And he wanted to get another scan. I'm sorry, they hadn't done a biopsy at this point. They had not done a biopsy at this point. That's really interesting. They had only tested her blood because lymphocytic leukemia is a blood cancer. Interesting. And they found it. Like, they found the CLL in her blood. Okay. Um, Oh, wow. But they thought that the masses, because she had masses in her body, but they Mm. thought it was from the CLL. Um, and they hadn't done a biopsy. Does that so, sound like a little bit irresponsible? <laughs> Sounds like a little bit. Gave us a lot of false hope. <laughs> okay. So, thank God for this one doctor who we were just praying was wrong. Um, and they did the biopsy, and it was super traumatic for my mom. And the doctor that took care of her post-op after that biopsy was super, like, invasive and didn't tell my mom what was going on. Just horrible. You know, getting poked and prodded like an animal. Um, and so I remember being in the oncology room, it was our second day there and us like holding our breaths the whole day because we knew we were going to get the results of the biopsy that day. And we see the doctor who brought up that there could be an issue and we saw him walk in the room and we were like, okay, so what's the news? And he said, oh, and he sticks his head out of the room and he says, is the social worker coming in for this? And as soon as he said that, I knew. Because mm. no one would look us in the eyes. Not even her, like, favorite nurse practitioner. Not the CLL doctor. This doctor wouldn't. And he didn't even respond to us when we said, so what's the news? He just looked behind him and asked if the social worker was coming in. And it's like, okay, here we go. So they told us my mom had stage 4B adenocarcinoma um, of the colorectal area. So basically stage 4 colon cancer. Which, if you know anything about cancers, mm-hmm. that ain't curable. Mm-hmm. Um, barely manageable. So when they told us this, I remember just like holding my mom's hand and looking up at the doctor. And I said, what the fuck? <laughs> because I was like, this is not true. No way. No way. And I was super, I was not a very nice person to any of the doctors in that room. I was just pissed because it's not fair. For someone to just find out that they are going to die like After that. I told them they were going to be fine two days prior. Yeah. And that was about, what, seven days after you got your mom's terminal diagnosis. Yeah, it was like five to seven days. It was close. It was. I actually think it was less than that because. You're I, right, because it was the day. It was like four, yeah, five days. Yeah. It was so close. So I remember calling the, the people that Kate was on vacation with at that point on her trip with because I was like Kate just found out her mom had terminal cancer how can I burden her with this now and I was like so distraught I called the friend she was with and I was like do I tell her right now do I wait till she's back she already feels stressed out that she can't be here I don't want to add to that but I need her like out of all the people Kate was the person I needed the most and so her friend was like no call her let her know and I did and of course, Kate was just like, I love you. I'm here for you. This sucks. We're, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> like, she was just, because as Kate will tell you, Kate is a strategizer and I'm a supporter. <laughs> and so Kate on the phone was like, 
let's do this. We're gonna get through this together. This way, this way, this way. When I'm back, we're gonna do this. Right now, you do this. Like, give your family this for me. Just knew exactly what to say and what to do because she had been through it. And, um, you know, my brain doesn't really work like that in crisis, usually. I'm much more of a supporter and like a hold space for you and be there for you in a way you need me to, but Kate was just on it. And so that was the beginning of our grief's journeys together. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite the beginning. It was a little bit ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. A little silly. Um, but it was also, I don't know. It sounds kind of like silly to say, but like faded. (laughs) It was though. Like how else can you describe that? Yeah. I mean, the odds obviously are slim to none of this happening. And also the odds of us just like kind of being the person that the other person needs Mm -hmm. are even smaller. And, and it was really important for us to find out that we were the people we needed on that trip Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the roles we played on that trip. Even absolutely. You were the strategizer and I was the supporter. Oh, that's and I so got us lost a lot, but I was <laughs> super patient too. <laughs> so thank God. I tell you this all the time. It's the truth. I think one of the best parts about traveling is getting lost. <laughs> and I'm so bad at getting lost. <laughs> She's like, Mel can do this for us. Mel, get us lost. exactly what we needed yeah to go into our grieving journeys because we knew the roles we played for each other in our friendship absolutely and it just translated into how we were there for each other grieving yeah and again I mean we were we were close friends before this trip yeah but we weren't that close no (laughs) and then no we were like the least close out of the group yeah so yeah super interesting it's just weird how stuff like that works out but um, yeah, that was, that was the beginning. And here we are, you yeah. know, three years later, like really close to three years later, actually, because we really left, really close, you know, November, but yeah. So that's our journey or the start of it. It's the start of our journey, the very yeah. start of our journey. Yeah. And, um, we are excited to share with you the ways that we've been able to be there for each other and find things out together. Mm-hmm. So maybe it might help you and whatever you may be grieving right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to talk about the different kinds of losses, different kinds of relationships, mm-hmm. and just kind of be a sounding board for you as well as something that can help you feel connected to other people going through it. Totally. No one wants to be in this position. No one wants to be thrown into this horrible, horrible part of life. But I heard this quote <laughs> The other day on a TV show. It sounds silly, but... And I know it's a famous quote, so forgive me for not knowing who it's by. I'm going to sound real dumb when I say it. But from the moment you're born, you start to die. Mm-hmm. And I just really liked that because for some reason, it's comforting to me. Like I get it. It's comforting to me, too. Yeah. You know, like, everyone's going to die. It's the only sure thing that we have in life. Life and death are synonymous, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they go together. Um, and so I think that knowing that this is going to happen to all of us, knowing this is going to happen to everyone that we love. And you might lose people during your lifetime that you don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that you're going to go into that, it's really nice to be prepared. And it's really nice to have some sort of, you know, wherewithal. Because once you're there, 
it is hard. And also preparing really for hard. it is really freaking hard too. I mean, yeah. and even preparing for it, your brain tries to. Yeah. And it does that by freaking you the fuck out yeah, all the time. The, the worst scenarios in your head. Because your brain wants to protect you, but you can't really prepare no. for it as much as you can just build your bank of love and positivity and memories while you can. Mm. And I think that's the biggest part of preparation that you can do. Knowing resources, getting resources lined up for yourself, knowing where to look when you do need help when it happens. 100%. Yeah. We also, I mean, a, a huge part of this for me too is like, you know, sounds odd to say, but kind of just like seeing the beauty in death as well, because I'm a really different person than I was a year ago. And I actually really like the person I am today. Um, I have grown a ton in ways that I would not have been able to if this hadn't happened. I am never, you know, I could have it. If I could have it the other way, I would, I would choose my mom every time. But I, in the last year, I've chosen myself and have just really kind of changed as a person. You know, if you're in therapy, you'll know this uh, putting tools in your toolbox. I feel <laughs> like I have so, I know, there's so many tools in my toolbox that so I didn't many. have before. And that's a huge part of, like, another reason why we're doing this is, like, if you don't have the tools, you know, maybe we can find them together. And also, like, we want feedback, too. Like, if you have tools that we don't know about, share them with us, too. Because this is constant. You know, we're constantly learning. We're constantly growing and trying to just figure out how to get through the fucking day. (laughs) That's basically it. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. We're based. Love and joy as we can. Yes. We're just, we're here for you. Like, we're here for each other. Mm-hmm. And we are not buying into toxic positivity mm-hmm. of everything will be okay and the same and better as much as we are <laughs> that it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she gave me a look before she said that. She paused and she gave me a look. She said, I'm going to say something that you're not going to like. I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> but you whatever. Should, but but Kate has like you have a good reason for hating it because say what it means to okay, you. Okay, all right. Fine. Say what it is, what it is means to you. So the phrase "it is what it is" is a phrase that sometimes my family members say when they don't want to like approach their grief. You know, and mm-hmm. I, so for Mel, it's a positive phrase. For me, it's comforting. I'm like, I have no control over this situation at all and I can't do anything about it. So it is what it is. That's not my thing. Can't do it. It is what it is. Can't touch it. Mm-hmm. And for me, the phrase, it is what it is, is like, <laughs> yeah, well, can't change it anyway. Might as well give up. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Or like, or not confront this or not approach yes. this. So it is kind of funny. And I don't know, is that like? Am I defensive? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what does that say about me, actually? No. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Because Kay and I are a very um, blunt personality. Mm-hmm. We approach things head on and we approach mm-hmm. it bluntly and we do it loudly. And the only time we say it is what it is, is after we've approached everything from every single direction. Mm, and then we're point. like, we can't even crack a hole in this fucking thing i guess it is what it is okay okay that's a great point yeah it is i mean it's kind of funny i feel like we're very very different people but we're also really similar yeah um we're both super headstrong and very 
um, like Mel said, loud, which is like my favorite <laughs> thing ever because I've been called loud so many fucking times in my life. <laughs> I know. Like literally when we were in college, one of our assignments was to ask your friends 10 descriptive words about you so you can find your personal brand. And many of my friends and I was loud. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, oh my fine. God. That's so, so funny. I don't know. But now I'm going to reclaim that word. That's so funny because Danny called me loud just this morning. Oh my God. So it does happen. We are just loud. We're loud people. We're we live, loud. We live out loud. We live, <laughs> we live life out loud. Live, laugh, love out loud. Okay. Crank the volume up. Turn it up, baby. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> That's how we approach things. Yep. Loudly. Yep. The people in my apartment building. Can probably hear all of this because of the noise level. Okay. The microphone's pretty far away from us right now. <laughs> it's like at least a foot away from us. Yeah. This is where it's supposed to be. <laughs> is it louder? <laughs> We're going to cut that out. Okay. <laughs> now to. I'm getting goofy. <laughs> okay. But yeah. So we don't want to buy into toxic positivity, as my therapist calls it, mm. of hey, stop what you're saying right now because what you're saying is really sad and it's making me sad, so I feel like you should stop. Because mm. I feel like that happens a lot in grief. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You have <laughs> Right? I'm sorry. It's not It's not the people asking, how are you doing since your mom died, but not really caring. Mm. <laughs> not liking mm. the answer when they do ask. <laughs> that never happens, huh? Never. Because God forbid you look at them and say, you know, it's been really fucking shitty <laughs> and then it's like really poorly because <laughs> then they come at you with like oh well at least your dad and sister are doing well right uh-huh. i don't want to hear one at least out yeah. of your fucking mouth oh my god yes <laughs> at least what? is the worst phrase it's inappropriate yeah the at least need to stop for I think sure so too yeah for sure i think so too so yeah that's why we're here <laughs> and to also know that even though we're diving deep and we're gonna get dark because that's how it goes in our brain. The name sometimes. of the podcast is Dead Mom Society, so that didn't give you a little hint. That's where this shit's going. It's going to get dark. <laughs> and we're going to talk about grief in all sorts of forms, like suicide or a breakup or a long drawn out taking care of your mom and watching her die in front of you or your family member dying of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about it all. And then we're going to come back with tools on how to be resilient. So Mm. it's not about being positive and finding positivity every day of your life. I'm a huge believer in finding things I'm grateful for because it's a coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. but I don't believe that's the one size fits all Mm -hmm. for people getting through hard times is just trying to stay positive because if you're always setting an expectation that you need to meet of, like my thing was always telling people it's all good Mm. Or it'll all be good. It'll all be good. I had to stop and just say, it'll all be. Like, mm. existence is a way easier expectation to me than a feeling of being good. I love that. It's just so much easier to just know, like, all I have to do to exist is exist. Mm. <laughs> like, I just have to wake up in the morning. But to be good, I have to feel these things. I have to be these certain people to other people in my life. I have yeah. to maintain these relationships and my job and my workout schedule and everything and it starts to become a chore to be good instead yeah. of something I get to naturally. So another tangent, but yeah. I figure yeah, if, if you can discover about yourself a pressure you're putting on yourself while grieving mm. and able to at least lessen that, 
It might be helpful. Next week, we are going to dive into <laughs> my journey a little bit more. Um, Mel's going to interview me. And then the week after that, I'm going to interview Mel. And then once you've gotten to know us a little bit better and see if you like our flavor, we're going to just start doing interviews of people who might be, you know, grieving at this point in their life. And like Mel said, it's going to be all different types of grief of like, you know, you, you like lost we, your estranged father. Exactly. Or like, I was just about to say, we, we have a mutual friend who lost an estranged father, mm-hmm. um, not due to death, but due to super horrific circumstances Circumstances. yeah and that's also a loss Mm -hmm. that you grieve so yeah yeah so we're gonna try and you know make the uh variety of interviews super wide so there's all different types of grief that we touch on um so everyone can feel heard we're also gonna try and do um like tackle a subject every other week Mm -hmm. because we have a lot of knowledge (laughs) from therapy we love our therapists and you'll find that out really quick Mm -hmm. we We love love therapy um but we also love that we've a little bit therapized ourselves you know Mm -hmm. because once you go to therapy you can do a lot better self-soothing so it'll Mm -hmm. be stuff that we learned in therapy but also stuff that we learn outside of therapy um and just like lessons that we feel like would be beneficial for everyone to know because it's really helped us. If you have suggestions, if there's something that you want to talk about, or if there's something that you want to hear, um, or if there's like someone that you have that's grieving or you're grieving and you want to know, um, you know, just like simple things to say or simple things to do to help you get through the day. That's what we want to help with. That's what we want to help with. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, it is what it is. And it's okay to not be okay. See you next week, guys. Bye.